Hey there, and welcome to the Pseudo Show. Today, we introduce you to our hosts and our plans for our upcoming episodes. We'll also take a high-level look at what exactly is enterprise open source, who the major players are, and a few of the projects we expect to make a huge difference in our industry. All that and more on the Pseudo Show. Welcome to the Pseudo Show, a Destination Linux Network production, your home for all things enterprise open source. I am Eric, the IT guy, and joining me every episode is my co-host, Brandon Johnson. How are you doing today, Brandon? Great, Eric. Just looking forward to the show, and I've been prepping for this for the last couple weeks. Uh, Between everything going on at work and and this, very busy, so I'm excited to be here nonetheless. What, What about you, Eric? Well, I've been at this for, I think, about six weeks nonstop, give or take. Um, so I'm really excited to finally be here. We're at episode one. Really excited to have you as, as my co-host and uh, and really excited to be working with the Destination Linux Network. So before we dive in too deeply in today's content, first of all, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, as a lot of you know, this has been a passion project of mine that's been in, de- in development for like two years. Um, but we're finally here. It's episode one. And I wanted to let you know that just uh, if you subscribe at, uh, on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts, um, we'll be releasing bi-weekly, uh, so every two weeks on Thursday morning. Um, I, think, uh, I think we're going to target about 25 to 30 minutes, usually, maybe, sometimes. We, we might go a little bit longer for if there's a big news drop or, or if, we, if we do some specials. Already we've got about four or five interviews planned, so those may go a little bit longer, but for the most part we're going to try and target that 25 to 30 minute space. Um, so content-wise, Brandon, you want to let everybody know what, uh, what they can expect? Yeah, we'll be talking about enterprise open source technology ranging from Linux, cloud management platforms, Kubernetes, some other like data center management products uh, or projects rather, uh, like uh, Netbox that's been created by DigitalOcean. It's something I'm really interested in playing with right now in my home lab. So uh, we're going to be exploring topics that and projects maybe even people have never heard of before. I feel like before we go any further, we should just point out that we embrace DevOps at this show. That means that we reserve the right to iterate on this show every single episode. So one week we may talk only about news. The next week we have a deep dive into an open source project that caught our attention. A lot of that iteration is going to come from all of you, though, our listeners. Send us your feedback. Who should we talk to? What should we cover? What works? What doesn't? This show is a passion project, but we we built it with all of you in mind. So just send us an email, contact at pseudo.show. Let us know what you think and, and help us shape the show. I mean, this is only episode one, so let's just go from there. So, Brandon, why don't we tell folks a little bit about ourselves to get started? Do you want to? Do you want to go first? Sure, Eric. I started uh, in the IT industry about 15 years ago now. This month started at Novell. Um, I worked on a team that helped migrate the entire company off Windows desktops to Linux desktops. So I had a small part in, uh, to my knowledge, one of the largest corporate uh, migrations of. Windows desktops to Linux desktops ever. After that, I went to United Health Group, did a few things over there, a lot folks still focused around open source and Linux, and started my own company focused around uh, open source projects for small, medium businesses, uh, some uh, larger uh, enterprises. And then I eventually landed at Red Hat 
Um, I've been at Red Hat now for seven years. Um, so it's almost been the majority of my career at this point working for Red Hat. And uh, it's been great. You know, here I've been focused on virtualization, OpenStack, cloud management, and uh, now uh, Kubernetes. And it's been a fantastic ride. That's really great. And uh, I would love to take some time here in the near future and, and kind of dig into what things were like uh, when you worked at, at Novell and, and compare that to, to what things are like nowadays. Um, I know for myself, I've, I've, I remember one of my first computers being on dial-up. And now, now today, just, you know, if, if I have less than a gigabit, I feel like it's, it's the dark ages again. <laughs> Sarah, how about yourself? Where'd you begin your uh, career? So as I'm sure will be made apparent within just the first few episodes of this show, I, I'm an operations guy just through and through. Um, I started I started uh, my career as as a help desk te- technician to a desktop administrator, which was fancy talk for I went and replaced everyone's PCs once every couple of years. But uh, I really fell in love with hardware, with, with systems administration. A um, couple of years into my career, I actually switched from being a Windows and Linux administrator to I, I, I rolled the dice. I took a gamble and applied for a, a full-time Linux administration position. And that really launched my career for a number of years. I, I, I ended up reaching out and, and connecting with the open source community and, and a lot of the uh, a lot of the groups. Uh, a lot of them were based around podcasts just like this one. And, and I, it taught me a lot about my career. Just a couple of years ago, I, I left the operations space. I, I, I gave up on, on systems administration and started working for a company called GitLab. They, uh, they're the company behind the GitLab product, uh, both the community and the enterprise editions. But what was different about that position for me was it was a move out of operations and into sales. And, and what ended up becoming very clear was that it was a better utilization of my personality. I, I found that that I've got this it's called it's called an activator trait where I can I, I, I get really excited about things and people tend to get excited about things that that other folks get excited about. So I, I worked at GitLab for about a year. During that year, I, I started launching this whole IT guy, call it a persona, if you will, where I could draw on my own experiences to help other folks. Throughout my throughout my time as a systems administrator, there was a lot of burnout. There was a lot of long hours, a lot of unnecessary work. And it, and it took being a technologist and really made it upsetting. It was, it was frustrating. I was, I was burned out. I was overworked. I was tired of doing what I was doing. The IT guy is kind of the personification of my desire to radically change how companies do business and, and how company cultures make their IT teams operate. So Brandon and I have actually been friends for a number of years, and we've 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 talked back and forth, sometimes lasting hours late into the night over Telegram or, or whatever instant messaging platform we're, we're embracing at the time, talking about what we're working on, what our day jobs are like. And late last year, he actually invited me to a position at Red Hat. Um, and so now he and I work on the same team. And it was it's really just been an extension of our own uh, of our own relationship that we've built. So we decided to start recording it and uh, and call it a podcast. So that's kind of the uh, that's kind of the origin story of Brandon and I working together on the pseudo show, and, and yes, you did hear correctly. Brandon and I both do work for Red Hat, but just want to make it clear and upfront right now that our opinions are our own. This sh- this show is not sponsored or produced by Red Hat. Uh, we just happen to both work for the company. So that being said. This, this show is really built upon cloud development around enterprise open source is kind of uh, kind of our key niche. 
So let's level set for a second. When when you're dealing with a topic as broad and as controversial as, as technology, sometimes it's best to just take a step back and and define your terms. Like we've we've mentioned this concept of enterprise open source a, a couple of times already. And a lot of folks would look at that and say, well, those are those are opposing ends of, of a spectrum. You've got enterprise on one side and you've got open source on the other. But I don't I don't really think that's true. Enterprise open source is almost open source at scale. Think about your average open source project. You, it's, it's usually targeted at the hobbyist or, or, or even at a small business level. You're, you're dealing with someone, you're dealing with a group of develop, a single developer or a group of developers who have an itch to scratch. They see a need, they see a niche that they can fill, and they go in, they write something that works well enough. But that's that's not really true because when you look at it, there's all of these there's all of these companies out there, enterprises, huge, massive scale that depend upon open source projects in order to be successful. So Eric, I think we need to expand on projects versus products. When uh, people think of enterprise open source, they think SUSE, they think Red Hat, uh, they may think of some other companies as well, like in the other models like GitLab, but we need to make sure that people understand their products and projects. So products are the usually make up open source projects that have a life cycle around it and probably support around it. Whereas a project is the open source community where whether that's a, a company that's sponsoring the project or just an individual developer just scratching that itch that's the project and there's usually no life cycle around it and no support you know sometimes a company needs that long life cycle they need that support around the product but sometimes a project is good enough not just because it's good enough it it solves the business problem it solves the business need like there's tons of open source projects out there that i've seen at customers in their data centers. Like for example, they, they're using software that's just been thrown over the fence by a company. Like for example, like DigitalOcean, they open sourced a project called Netbox. And I've seen that in various customers and it's a great open source project, but there's no support around it. There's no product for Netbox, but it's a, it solves a business need. It solves a technology need in the data center. And, and and a lot of people out there would look at that relationship and go, oh my gosh, this would be so easy to abuse. But in reality, that doesn't that doesn't happen all that often. If if you look at the relationship between a lot of these enterprises, a lot of these companies that building that are building products, a lot of them have a, a community of of open source projects that they support. That support can look a couple of different ways. It, it could be paid support, it could be training, it could be donation of resources, whether that's whether that's hardware, whether that's engineers to test with. What you end up seeing is that these companies almost adopt open source projects that they're that they're building off of. And what you what you see is it is a move forward for not only the open source project, not only the the business that is using these projects, but the end user ends up reaping the benefits. It all comes down to this whole relationship between the enterprise and the open source project. So on the one hand, you have proprietary software, and that's proprietary is really easy to, to conceptualize for, with, without a lot of information. I mean, it's, it's a single group of testers, developers, and designers that all work for the same company. 
So it, it turns out being just this black box that no one can see into. But around the same time that the open source movement started, there's this kind of parallel development methodology that, that became very, very popular. And that's known as the open core model. As I mentioned at the top of the episode, I used to work for a company called GitLab. And GitLab actually builds their product on an open core model. So what you have is you have the company GitLab and you have the product GitLab. And it's it can become very confusing in conversation. But let's take a moment and break that down. GitLab's product actually has two different tiers. You have the Community Edition, which is completely open source, and you have the Enterprise Edition. But with the, with the Community Edition, what you see is you can go and look at the pull requests. All of GitLab CE is completely open source. And more often than not, some of the best ideas, some of the best features, some of the best code changes were not actually written by someone who gets paid or wears a GitLab badge. In fact, most of the best ideas, some of the, the best features that we saw actually came from people in the community. What that provides is GitLab CE can fill the needs of a lot of the hobbyists, a lot of the small businesses, the small development shops that maybe only have one or two projects that they're working on. So what you see with the Community Edition is that you have a wide range of features and use cases that you can apply to open source projects or, or small businesses or even individual contributors. So a lot of times what you'll find is companies like GitLab will actually extend their open source projects with advanced features that only an enterprise would need, and they'll put those behind a paywall. And those those features will be proprietary because it's kind of the it's kind of the secret sauce for companies like GitLab. And they also offer that as a SaaS solution. Many open core companies you take that approach of delivering their product as a SaaS solution or software as a service solution. Previously, I, when I was self-employed, I worked with uh, open source projects like uh, VTiger and now called Udu, used to be called OpenERM, are examples of an open core development model that offer their main product as a software as a service solution, but the core of their product is an open source project. At the other end of the spectrum, you have the pure open source development models. And as far as I'm aware, there are only three companies that use this development model, and that's Red Hat, SUSE, and Cloudera. This development model basically means all development is done inside the open source community. Nothing's proprietary. These companies have no intellectual property since everything is done inside an open source community. So for example, Cloudera does all their development in the Hadoop community and all the surrounding projects that make up Hadoop. SUSE and Red have their Linux, their Linux products and their Kubernetes products, and they heavily participate in the open source communities that make up that ecosystem. And the business model for these companies is they create services and support around their products. So Brandon, you and I have been in the industry for quite some time, and it's been interesting over the last few years to to see this this new funding model take shape, kind of this fund the project model. What are your takes on that? So there's been a few new business models emerging around this. So like probably the most simple one is GitHub has introduced a, a Patreon, for those familiar with Patreon, a Patreon-like model with projects. So projects can opt to get direct funding from individuals or companies. That, that's one way of making money now with your open source project. There's actually a new company that was founded by former Red Hatters called Tidelift. And Tidelift is trying to make it easy and approachable 
for enterprises to consume open source projects directly and packaged by the maintainer, but Tidelift acting as the intermediary between the enterprise or the business and the open source project and its maintainers. And they put services around this and, and support. It's an interesting new model that I, I still don't quite understand yet, but it's uh, uh, something that is emerging and I'm excited to see where it goes. And what's kind of interesting along those same lines is we, we have seen an uptick in this in this Patreon-like subscription model. But something we hadn't really talked about beforehand was was this concept of, of companies like Netflix is, is really well known for just taking something that they've used internally and just releasing it. I'm thinking like uh, Netflix and their Chaos Monkey. You've got Google and Kubernetes. Yep. I mean, these were tools that that these companies used internally for a very long time and then just realized we could make this better or we could make a difference in the industry by releasing these things open source. Yeah, and it's been uh, fantastic for uh, projects surrounding Kubernetes. Jaeger, which was put out by Uber, has become one of the leading uh, CNCF projects. Same with Envoy from Lyft. Envoy is uh, one of the top projects in uh, the in uh, the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. And there's other projects as well, like uh, the Mesha VPN from Slack called Nebula. And I brought it up earlier, uh, Netbox from DigitalOcean, which is an enterprise-grade IP management system. So when you take the concept of enterprise open source and, and you put it onto the onto the spectrum that we've been talking about, you've got proprietary to open core to, to completely open source. I, I think it's been an interesting experience to watch the industry kind of adopt this push and pull with the ecosystem. You've, you've got companies that have tools that they've used for a long time that they're open sourcing. You've got open source projects that are almost being adopted by companies. And yet, no matter which direction you go, you see this big trend towards open source. So whether you're a technologist or a huge enterprise, I think there's this ever-growing trend towards open source and, and open first. So whether you're a technologist working on your home infrastructure or a huge enterprise, I think there's not only this drive towards open source, but I think now we're seeing even more of an open first type of approach. Going open source first can seem daunting. I helped deploy 5,000 workstations at the time was a Fortune 500 company. People just want to get things done. Open source isn't always a familiar solution, but when you can go open first, the only way open source gets better is if we use it and contribute to it. And you don't need to be a coder to contribute to it. I really think you hit the nail on the head there, Brandon. It's, it's not enough to just use open source, but open source is a, is a community. It's, it's a, it's a two-way street. So when, when your application crashes, gather the logs. If you don't know how, ask the maintainer of the project that you're using. I guarantee you that they would love to have more information about how their application is being used and what limitations it's running into. In fact, if, if you feel confident enough, if, if there's a feature that's missing, ask for it. But if you are a coder and you and you happen across a bug, then open a pull request. Type up your code, type up how you think it should be, and submit that back to the project. That's how these projects get bigger and get better. It's just a matter of being a good steward of the community. 
If opening a pull request or submitting submitting crash logs seems daunting to you, don't worry. That That is what the pseudo show is here for. We are here to stand in that gap and bridge between the enterprise and the open source communities. I mentioned that the pseudo show is a passion project for Brandon and I. We are here because we've, we've, we've experienced the enterprise and we've experienced the open source community. And we really want to help make those connections. We want to build those bridges between the enterprise and the open source community. So thank you so much for joining us today. I think we've got some some great conversations that we've laid the, the foundation for today. And I, I think we are going to see that as early as, as our next episode. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. And keep your eyes peeled for episode two. While you wait, go ahead and get connected with us. You can find us on the web at pseudo.show or on Twitter at pseudoshowpodcast. You can catch more awesome content over at our network partners, destinationlinux.network. Brandon, anywhere else you'd like to send folks? You can follow me on Twitter at dbrandonjohnson or my website at opentech.net. And you can follow me at ITGuyEric or on ITGuyEric.com. Last but not least, we are building a community over on Matrix. You can connect with Brandon, myself, and other folks just like you. Join our Matrix room, Pseudo Show, on Matrix.org. Remember, the Pseudo Show is your place to take control of your technology and your career. And until next time, 